Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside Insights, a podcast powered by Zappi. We are committed to bringing you tangible insights and tips that you can bring back to work the next day to help you navigate your consumer and your company better. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Patricia Montestioca. Hey, Patricia, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. You know, Patricia... I dig it that you've only been in Boston a few years, but you're dropping a few how I is nowadays. That's an important thing. I dig it. So for those of you who haven't visited Boston yet, we're recording this interview the day that uh, President Biden announced we're all going to have vaccines by the first of May. I hope he's right because I'm sick of being stuck here. So when you come and visit Boston, make sure you come in the summer. It's beautiful here in the summer. And when you're walking around the streets and someone goes, how are you? You don't answer with anything other than how are you? They don't actually want to know how you're doing. They just want you to say how are you back. I always say good, though, because I'm Latina. So, of course, I have to say something. You have to greet them back. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, joy- I'm mixing, like, cultural mix. It's a beautiful thing. So, today, we're actually talking about, we're talking to somebody who's not from Boston. Uh, we're talking to somebody who's one of the most New York people I've ever oh met. Oh, my God. There's not many more New Yorkers than Frank. And so, uh, I'm really excited for this conversation. You've known Frank a lot longer than I have. Um, I met Frank December 2000. Wow. We've been friends since. I mean, we hit it off immediately. And he's not only a New Yorker, he's a Latino. So it's like the most amazing combination ever. Ever. <laughs> so Frank Frank uh, has set up and now manages and continuously innovates knowledge management at Colgate Palmolive. He sits on the Global Insights team. Um, I think I've met a lot of people who are working on trying to solve knowledge management problems. I've only met one who's figured them out, and that's Frank. Colgate's setup for knowledge management is genuinely world-class and industry-leading. And so Patricia and I wanted to talk to Frank because I know many of you are thinking about how to do this. Um, And so we wanted to give you some advice from the master himself. So Patricia, should we get into it with Mr. Frank? Let's go for it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Inside Insights podcast designed to help you bring change to your workplace. Today, I'm joined by my friend, knowledge management industry legend and New York Yankee fan, Frank Santiago from Colgate Palmolive. Hey, Frank. Yep. Thank you, Ryan. Where do, so we're recording this interview four days after the Super Bowl. It will probably ship sometime in March. But where does Tom Brady rank on the greatest athletes of all time is a question Frank and I have been discussing. We'd love to know what you think. Um, so, but we're, we're actually not here to talk about Tom Brady, despite the fact that I was very happy that he won. Um, we're here to talk about knowledge management. And Frank, when I think of knowledge management, there's very few people I, I think of that have had more success, more innovation and more tenure in the space than you. And so, you know, this, this podcast for me is all about giving people that work in insights departments at big, small, medium sized organizations, tangible tips to help themselves improve. So, Frank, how did let me before you before we get into the meat of the topic, how did you get yourself into a career focused on knowledge management? It's so funny because people ask me this all the time. I think originally I started as almost like a research librarian, right? And if you think about the old days where you went to a library, you couldn't find books on the topic you wanted, you went to the librarian and he or she would would work with you and help you. You know, even some of the <laughs> fancy libraries had multiple librarians. And I, I think when I started at Colgate, that wasn't what I was setting out to do. I just came to Colgate to kind of help organize, you know, knowledge at the time, to organize a place where we could keep certain amount of learning. Over the years, they catapulted and, you know, what started in, in one little set of cubicles got bigger and bigger and bigger and, and 
filing cabinets and then we went to scanning and then we went to like cloud computing and the world is just it's, it's one of those things where you know it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger right and it's old school but a lot of people still get it wrong you know what i'm saying it, yeah you're, you're right and it, it's funny that it's old school and a lot of people get people still get it wrong when all that's actually happened is the amount of data and information that businesses have is what thousand X in the last yeah, five yeah. years, 10 yep. years. I mean, yeah. it's maybe, maybe more than that. You could argue there's more, there's more lost information in yeah. some companies yep. than actual yeah. usable information. And speaking for, for a company like Colgate and, and, and a lot of companies that are fortune 500 companies, the biggest thing I hear, and it doesn't matter who I talk to, um, it could be a competitor. It could be non-competitor. It could be, you know, any big major company. Oh, we don't have enough information. The problem is they have too much information. They just can't get to the information that they need to answer those questions. So if they yeah. tell you they don't have enough information, generally speaking, they have it. They just can't find it. So this this is actually a question I wanted to ask you because um, we, we were talking, uh, Frank and I are buds. We talk from time to time. We were talking about even Zappy would benefit from knowledge management. We're a 220 person software company. So Frank, from your perspective, what's the signal in a business that says, you know what? We've got an, an opportunity to organize our knowledge and integrate knowledge management. Like what's the right time to get it started? And what I are think, some of the signals? Yeah, I think two things. One, when companies are struggling to, to be more innovative or they're struggling to build new products, a lot of times they just keep doing research, keep doing research, keep doing research. And a lot of times, they don't understand that they probably have done so much research in certain ideas, but they can't get it. So I think the, that's one area where that becomes an issue. Like, how do we know what we should know? And how do we find out the things that we don't even know we know, right? And I think that's number one. Number two, I think a lot of times there's pressure um, where one company may, may have a knowledge management strategy or one company may be very organized at capturing curation of knowledge better than most. I think that brings a little rivalry that company's like, hey, you know what? I want to do what Pepsi's doing. I want to do what Colgate's doing. And I think that's what, what kind of sparks it. But for the small companies, it's about if you can organize the information and, and get a grip on what you have, like that's your biggest asset, right? It's everything that you are as a company is your own assets. So it's your information, your people, and your products. I love it. I love it. I mean, it's, it's actually very timely for me even to do this conversation with you because we're literally kicking off, we're calling it discoverability, but it's the same dynamic where we know there's stuff we have, we know, but we can't access and we know there's known unknowns and it's, you're leaving money on the table as a company. So, Correct. all right. So Frank, you started as a librarian. I think you probably have one of the most advanced instances of knowledge management in a, in a massive global organization um, today. You've been on a journey. So take us through some of the mistakes that you've made along your way how, and how you might recommend other people would address them. Because as what's interesting to me is as big of a problem as knowledge management is, let's say I talked to 10 brands, Frank, seven of them are at the beginning of their journey on this topic. Yep. And of those seven, five of them have done it and it completely failed and now they're back at ground zero yep. again. Yep. Let's reflect so, a little bit on what you've learned. As much as I've learned and know a lot about this area, there's a lot of things that I don't know, right? There's always going to be something I can learn. There's always something I can do better. I think the biggest, you know, drawback for me was in the past thinking that I can do this on my own and get it right alone, right? Mm. A lot of times you get frustrated. You want to deliver. You want to basically earn your take in a company. So I think early in my, in my career, 
you know, I tried to be so perfect about doing it. And, and the problem is, is you got to give it a shot and you got to scale it out and make mistakes because making mistakes is healthy, right? As long as it doesn't cost the company millions of dollars. But I think I tried to be too perfect early in my career, number one. Number two, um, I listen to my insights people, to the commercial team members, but a lot of times what people tell you they want and when you build something and deliver to them, to them, they go, oh, that's not what I want. And I go, well, that's what you said. You know, and I think in the past, I used to just take what they told me to do. When now I sit, I stand back a little bit. I'm like, well, why do you want that? You know, what's your process? Um, what are the things that you're doing across regions that are the same? What are the things that, like, I ask them questions that they're like, why is he asking me this? Why? Because that helps me better understand if what they're looking for, I can give them, or it helps me get them a better product or a better process to analyze their knowledge. I didn't, I didn't just dive into that early in my career. That, mm -hmm. that took time. That came with experience. Yeah, that's, that's a muscle I think everybody, regardless of what they do, should develop, right? Like if, if you take someone's surface level answer, you'll get a very different outcome than if you ask them why five times because you get right. to the actual root cause of the right. problem. I, I love that. And, and, and also just like controlling failure, right? Okay, so let's just say, let's just say for a second, you didn't have a system, which I know you do. What are some of the things, Frank, that you'd recommend people look for or, or perhaps advice on the process of going about selecting a system for them? Great question. And I wish more people would ask me this question. I think the first thing I will do is get your house in order. Okay. So you want a system for what? I want to know, do you do research? Is it traditional research where a supplier generates a report and gives you a report? Or are you a shop that does all agile research like Zappi, Taluna, Black Swan? Or you don't really do a lot of research, but you rely on secondary sources. To me, you have to understand what they are using now. How do they make decisions? What information are they buying? Because once you understand everything that they have in their arsenal, then you can say, okay, how much of this are you actually using? But if you, don't, if you don't know what you have, if you don't know a process on how you answer questions, and you don't even know like what you spend on what you have now, a new system is not going to solve your problems. No, it's not. It, it, it is funny. And I see this big businesses, small businesses, and it plagues us. Uh, some chief growth officer reads an article and says knowledge management. All of a sudden it ends up on the head of insights lap or some chief growth officer has an engagement with McKinsey and is like, we need to become agile. And then the insights team's like, awesome. We'll just go buy a bunch of software. And uh, I could complain about that for a while, but let's just yep. let's play. Let's be positive today. Yep, yep. So Frank, that, that process, audit what you know, understand how people use things. Who are some of the key players that you partner with in the organization? Because I imagine it's a cross-functional job. And, and what, what are some of the ways you go about getting that information? Because in big companies, it is also very matrixed. And so it's not easy to get that connectivity. So what are some of the things that you would recommend to people to actually do that? With? I, I think if you're in a bigger organization, you start with insights, analytics, and R&D right? In a big company. But in companies where the insights function is much smaller, you got to start with commercial team members. And, and when I say commercial team, I mean, get, get some buy-in from marketing, get some buy-in from, from CDO, get some buy-in from 
you know, CIC or you have those quasi retail cross-functional people um, that wear like multiple hats, get those, get, get some senior people to tell you where are they struggling to get their business questions answered? Because once you understand how they're struggling to get answers, then it's easy because you know that if you can give them the information in a way that helps them answer those questions, they're going to use the system. But if you don't understand what they're looking for, they're never going to use the information. They're just going to keep testing or they're going to go to one person who's going to go to eight people to get an answer. They're going to put together this huge PowerPoint and give it to you know Ryan. And Ryan has to read a hundred slide presentation when you really only need three or four key slides. Good point. Okay. So buy-in from the top, deep discovery of what you've got. Now you know all this information. And so in your experience, is it a build or buy decision or is your experience that, you know what, there's just such great options on the market that you're actually better off using some of those capabilities? Look, I, I've done it both ways, right? We, we did homegrown. We built our own. We did a combination built buy, And then now I'm in a situation where we use a, a regular home, you know, uh, state of the art um, application, you know, through market logic. But yep. I think the, the issue is that things that are off the shelf, that are enterprise wide, that give you the ability to expand. Okay. That's the way you want to go. Because even some of these big knowledge systems, you don't have to start big. So one of the things that we did over time is we, we did one module, we did a proof of concept, and we added on, you know, we used it for about a year, we tweaked it, we massaged it, we built in our process. And because Anybody can spend a million dollars on one of these systems. The problem is some, you don't need that out of the gate. Sometimes yeah. it's better, you know, do a proof of concept, you know, buy the module that you need the most at that time. Maybe you need a module just to collect information, sort it and make it searchable. Maybe you need a module to do your budgets and approve your research spend and work with your suppliers. Maybe you need a module that does both, but, but analyze what you need because if you take too much on, not every company has a dedicated knowledge management person. So what ends up happening in most companies is the role that I play, a piece of it goes to GIT, a piece of it goes to marketing, a piece of it goes to insights, and it's just like 5% of everybody's job. I, I consider myself to be like a ringleader of the big show, right? I'm not the main event, I'm not the star, but I'm the ringleader that makes it all happen. People don't like when I say that because they think I'm... I'm saying don't buy big. No, I'm just saying why buy big and it's just going to sit there because at the end of the day, I don't care who you work for. You spend money on a knowledge management system. The first thing they're going to say is who's using it? Are we getting money back? Are, are, are we getting ROI? Are, 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 is this system paying for itself? If you, can't, if you can't answer those questions, you're back to square one. You're spot on, man. I mean, so and, now, and now they won't give you money to do it again. Now, well, now you've lost credibility, right? You've spent money, you haven't driven adoption. So there, there's there's two things that I, I really like uh, about what you said. The first is supplemental or incremental wins first. Yep. And I think too often we try to boil the ocean of big problems in business. You're like, let me take all sales data, all social data, all survey data, all syndicated data. Day one, I'm going to turn it all on. Yeah. I mean, good luck. Like I, I'm, you know, I know Pepsi's just gone through this journey and a lot of their journey was like, let me first get my Zappy data in. Now let me get my Kantar data in. And like, in sort of going down that path. Um, and, and I think that's really important. But the other thing you say, I, I want to unpack a little bit. So Colgate Palmolive, one of the biggest companies in the world, has obviously identified the importance of your role 
to the degree where it's a full-time role. In many organizations, it's not yet, particularly the mid-sized company. But what strikes me about your success is clear ownership of the problem in a world where everybody's only got 5% stake in the game. Exactly. Have you seen, like, I don't know, from other peers of yours, what about an insights department that's sitting here listening to this interview being like, I don't have a Frank and they're not going to give me one yet. How would you solve that problem in a world where you have this meeting with me about knowledge management, but you also got to go to a tracker meeting after this and then go to some stakeholder interviews? Yeah, I just just went through this with somebody in Insight uh, here company. A lot of times I hear, well, Colgate is fortunate to have me, and they are, but I'm fortunate to have Colgate because they let me do my... They let me do my job. It, I, I have to be held accountable. I have to earn my take, but they let me do my job, right? And by letting me do my job, we've become a better place to manage knowledge. What bothers me, though, is that even though there isn't my role in every company, but there's so many resources that are used in the knowledge management area that when you look at you know, two or three headcounts in IT, two or three headcounts and insights that are helping out, two or three administrative assistants, two or three consultants, it like triples my resource at Colgate. It's just that they don't look at it that way because they're spending the money. So I just wanted to tell you that because that, that happens a lot. Number two, I, of course. I, I, yeah. I, think the, I think what happens for those people that don't have a knowledge expert, I think it goes back to simplification. What is it that you're responsible for? What is the data that you own what is the data that you manage, number one? Number two, what are the kinds of questions you get from all of your commercial team members on a regular basis? I bet you, if you talk to 100 insights people, the basic answer is going to be, I need a concept. I need a report. I want to know how this idea tested. Because that's what they do. They, 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 they just constantly go to insights people. But when you build the knowledge strategy and you teach people to look for things for themselves in an organized fashion, a lot of those things they can get on their own. And those insights people now can free up their time to dedicate a little bit more to knowledge management and maybe to like ethnographies, foundational research, where now they're just so bombarded with so many things. They, they have to pick and choose what's more important. Sorry, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying because I think it's really cool. So if you get to a place where you set your knowledge management system up right, are you then recommending democratize it to people? So that way insights isn't actually that intermediary point. And you're like, no, no, I've set this up for you. You go find your idea. Here's how right. it's easy. Is that, is that what you're recommending? Right. And, you don't, and you don't have to do, like, you don't have to like cut that relationship between insights and marketing, but you could say, you know what? Every time someone asks me for a questionnaire or a concept that I know was tested, I'm going to send that individual to this link. That'll take them to the knowledge management system. Like if everyone did that, you'd be shocked at the domino effect of how, how the industry would change. Yeah, you're right. Just thinking, well, it, it not, it's to your point of not ruining that relationship, it means that they can talk about stuff that's actually strategic. Yeah, and most people, believe it or not, despite what, what you may hear you know, out in the open, a lot of people like doing things for themselves, especially now during COVID, where we're all home, we're overwhelmed, we're juggling personal life. If you gotta wait for somebody to get you something, and you're like, damn, what's taking them so long? Like, like you're stressing out, right? But if I sent you a link and I gave you something and I said as part, oh, Ryan, by the way, I thought these things were interesting too. You know what? I just got you started. Yeah, that's right. Right? So that's what I try to tell insights people. Organize what you can control. Organize what your company owns, if it's relevant. And send people for some of the basic stuff there. 
it, little by little, you will change. You will actually open up that, that change management. It's not going to happen overnight. And most people that are outside of marketing are probably going to be quicker to adopt because R&D people, CDO people are, are the kind of people that always roll up their sleeves and dig in stuff, right? Because insights people historically are part of marketing teams. CDO, R&D, um, CICs, they don't always have unlimited insights people you know, in, you know, I, in front of them. But at the end of the day, they're not always at your disposal. But I bet you one of your marketing people that works closely with them always has them at their fingertips. That's yes. the point that I'm making. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a, and your point about like the, the change since COVID, I think is actually worth talking about for a minute, Frank. People's lives have completely had to integrate. And so I've been on this, I would, I would say it's a tangent about when we, when we use synchronous versus asynchronous communication. And to me, the cost of getting someone from China, someone from Germany, someone from Boston, someone from Portland, Oregon, on the phone together to be talked at or given information is just not worth it. People want information when they need it. Then they got to go deal with their kids, clean the house, whatever. Think about it. Let's not meet to present. Let's share information. And then when we meet, we've all actually formed an opinion about it. And we can actually have a discussion about what do we do with it? And, and I think this is a big theme in business, Frank, because it's, we're not all in the office. Teams are distributed. So we, we started about a year ago where everybody got sent home. We've been working home. Go back two years ago. Whenever people order takeout, what was it? Chinese food, pizza, sandwiches, wings, whatever. Basic, basic comfort food. Yeah. Now, a year later, people are ordering from the finest restaurants in the entire world and getting that high-class, great meal delivered to their home. Yeah. Whether it's by Uber Eats, the restaurant themselves, some kind of monthly subscription. But if I would have told you two years ago that we were going in that direction, oh no, Frank, you're crazy. Yes. I want to go. I want to go to like these fancy restaurants. I want to enjoy, you know, etc. I'm just saying, like, you know, things will change. Sometimes it takes a, a, a really bad pandemic or really negative experience to get there. But you know what? Things can change, and sometimes, despite the negativity or the suffering, you can come out on top. Yeah. And the businesses that have harnessed that, I think are winning right now. Yeah. All right. So Frank, we now have done some discovery. We've got some stakeholder buy-in. We know what we don't know. We know how we would use it. A fictitious example, we've now got to go present to the chief growth officer to get a million bucks. You're only want 300, but you want approval for the full million because you're going to supplement. Name for me, from your perspective, the four, three to four macro benefits that knowledge management brings to a company. The first thing is I would come in there with proof by other C-level people that bought into my idea. So when I'm, when I'm coming for money. Their peers or the people on their team. Yeah, yeah. I would already have okay. either their direct reports or a couple of their peers that already bought into my idea, already took them through the idea. And now I'm coming for the money, right? That's the first thing yep. I say, oh, by the way, I'm here. And I already spoke to these people and they, they bought into this and they support me coming to you, number one. Number two, I would try to put together or frame an argument about this is what you're spending now on research. And this is what you're spending year in and year out over and over and over, but you're still struggling 
to answer your business questions. My third point is, you know, don't you want to have better control of all of the knowledge that you build in your company? And if you follow me on this journey and let me go this direction, this is the first step to doing that. I think those will be the three talk points I would have. Your leaders need it. We are spending X. I'll bring it down to Y. And think of the possibilities of having institutional knowledge actually in a place that's accessible. Correct. And going to the second point, because I got to be careful. When I say we're spending this and I'll bring the cost down, I don't want them to think I want to cut people's budgets, take money away. No, I want to take that savings so that when their budgets run out, now they have money to do other things. I want to yeah. give them money to reinvest back into the business. And, and these systems, I can, I can assure you, they pay for themselves if they're managed properly. All right. So the meeting goes well. You got the money, Frank. You got the money, my man. This is the part that I think most software fails. Rollout. Yep. Give us some advice, Frank. What are some lessons, tips, best practices for so now you've got the C-suite on side, you know, you have a plan. How do you go from that day of, I've now got a system to the people that are in insights, marketing, R&D, use it and love it. Other, in other words, how do you implement it? The first thing is you don't sh- show the checkbook, right? To the vendor. You don't want them to know what your, what your overall budget is. Because if you go to a vendor and say, I got a million dollars to spend, they're going to write you a proposal and a rollout plan to cover that. Bucks. What you do is, is you take a realistic approach. So let you look at every company is organized different, but are you organized by region? Are you organized by brand? Are you organized by category or overall business, right? Take, I don't care which one you take, a brand, a region, or a business. Take the one that you have the closest relationship and roll out with them first. Smart. Because... You learn, you roll out, you fix things, you get feedback. Now, I come to you and I go, hey, you know, I just rolled out with Patty's team and we killed it, man. You want to go next? Yeah, I want in. It's one of the best change management lessons right there. You have to do it. I know people think sometimes you're selling yourself short. You're not. By taking that step slow at the beginning, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to go so fast later, man. Like. I remember when I brought on my first couple of data sources, right? As secondary sources, it took forever. Now, I mean, it's just, I can bring them on like, like nothing. You know, if, I, if we have a, a, a secondary source and we have enterprise-wide access to it, I can bring it on in a matter of two weeks. And wow. everybody can get access to it, right? Because we own it, we pay for the service. But that didn't happen overnight. We just mm-hmm. learn how to do things right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, so that point, I, I advise that point that you just made to, to every one of our clients, because how rare is it that every single category, region, brand, executive team all opts into something in matrixed organizations? It never yeah. freaking happens. But you know, you know what's funny, Ryan? The weird thing about this discussion we're having is some of these big companies, they're doing this, right? So they have knowledge management company number one in one division. They rolled out a little app yes. for that team. They have knowledge management company number two. They rolled out in this app. Wow. There's many companies out there that are using two or three or four knowledge management type companies at the same time, but they're using them on a very small scale, right? 
But the problem is that each of those instances, no one's learning from each other. Why? Because they're competitors. So even though the people in the company are not competitors, the solutions are competitors. You see the problem? Yep. It's and easier to, to, to scale out slowly with the same company because you're not competing against another company. But it doesn't mean that my first rollout with my company that I'm using, you know, could have been easy. My second rollout could have been challenging. My third rollout could have been a piece of cake. My fourth rollout gave me problems because their requirement, they changed it at the last minute. And that happens. That's just, that's just the way the world is. You know, something could have changed. You know, what? there could have been an acquisition. It happens all the time. An acquisition. And I got to bring in 30 users that have, they don't even know nothing about Colgate. So now, not only do they know nothing about Colgate, but they don't know about knowledge management either. So now I got two problems. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think um, that's my that's that's something that I've observed. You know, and I and I think um, I wish more people got it. Yeah, and and that's very tough to police because you're because you're right. Um, I know the companies you're talking about. We'll leave them out of this. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's more often that big CPG, big telco, big QSR has multiple disconnected knowledge management systems yeah. than a coordinated strategy. And, and the truth is, Frank, it's because we, we have, for the necessity of global versus local, we've matrixed all the companies. So how do you police against that? Years ago, I remember hearing, oh, no, we do it different in our division than the other division. I actually asked, went and did an analysis of how each division does it. How do they, you know, budget? How do they do their research? How do they share their knowledge? Do you know that when I went to each division, put it on a piece of paper, the processes were exactly the same? Of course they were. You know what the problem was? The order was different. Or something was not done. Something was just excluded. So I said, why don't we look at the one thing that every division does the same way? And let's pull that into this corner. What's the second thing that everybody does the same? That's easy, right? So the first two things are easy. The third one gets hard because now everybody does it different. But guess what? What if you did it this way? Would, it, would you still be able to do what you're trying to do? And then people look at you like, right. oh, okay. Okay. So like I use Uber Eats because I'm an Uber guy and I have my points. But I use Grubhub because some of the restaurants on Grubhub are not on Uber Eats. Right. You see my point? Yeah. But, but you got you to gotta have a rationale as to why you're doing things two different ways. It's, I think this is something the insights industry holistically needs to understand. We're moving towards a world where technology can allow us to be impactful and strategic, but we have to be intentional about how we set it up. Yep. Otherwise, it's just fast and cheap chaos. Yep. Genuinely. I've seen it way too frequently. The biggest issue, in my, in my opinion, that you're going to always hear is, there's no system out there that can do it all. There's no system that's perfect because as soon as that system becomes perfect, another need pops up. So of you course. don't want a system that's perfect. You want a system that continues to evolve the way companies evolve. And that's why in this space of knowledge management, there's only a few companies that get it right, in my opinion. Well, you're right because businesses are changing so fast. You have to be able to keep up. Frank, you've said it all. Uh, anybody who wants to get at Frank, he's on LinkedIn, unless you're trying to sell him something, then leave him yep. alone because he's busy. Yep. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You can try. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Frank, you're a good man. You've been gracious with your advice and your time. 
Um, I think a lot of people are going to leave this session a lot smarter, thanks to you. So on their behalf, thank you, my friend. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I always love talking to Frank, Patricia. And this was a rare time where we didn't talk about the Yankees because it's funny, Frank calls me a lot and wants to talk to me about sports. <laughs> but we don't actually talk about sports. We talk about his sports teams. So today we got to talk business. It was great. Um, I thought Frank brought the heat. Um, Always brings the heat. Whether brought the heat. business or not. I mean, I usually don't talk to him about business. I usually talk to him about, you know, people we know and things and stuff. But today he just brought it, all of it. Ooh, Frankie brought the heat. So what were some of your key takeaways? If you're standing up knowledge management today, I imagine you'd be much better off having listened to this, but like, what were some of the themes you took away and insights for people? It was fun listening to him talk because since he and I worked together for so long, um, I, I lived some of that with him, but I took away five important things that he's the tips of his, right? Which, cause he's just full of wisdom and he wants everybody to succeed. First one is make sure, number one, make sure all of your stakeholders are super aligned on why knowledge management is necessary. Yep. He was very clear on making sure that everybody knew that a company's assets are their information, their products, and their people. And if you don't take care of these, you're leaving money on the table, right? He also said something that I thought was like very deep. All Most companies believe they don't have enough information, but all of them, and he used the word all, all of them have the information. They just can't find it. Yeah, I bet you that's us too. I bet you that's us too, because you said 100% us. The second thing he said that was really important is chart the path for getting started. <laughs> Don't just get started, just chart the path, right? Audit the information first, all types of information, audit it, and then determine what your scope and your reach is going to be so that you know who your end users are, the markets, the data interaction. But do that second. That's your second step. The third one, this is the money one make it sustainable. Now, for all of you out there that are like, what do you mean exactly but make it sustainable? What am I supposed to do on Monday morning about make it sustainable? Make sure it's easy to use so nobody's going to say, that's too hot. I'm going to use my own, right? Make sure that they can afford it. That you can afford it not just today, but maintaining it for a long, long, if not forever, right? And make sure that it creates shareable value. It's really cool. Always start with a pilot, something that proves the concept, but make sure that it's not going to be a one a flash in the pan, you know, flavor of the month. That was really important to me. I love it. Frank was working in agile ways before it was one of the biggest buzzwords that plagues our industry. He was just doing it. (laughs) He was cool before it was cool. He was cool before it was cool. Step four went close to my heart because you know very well that my role here at Zappy is all about onboarding and making sure everybody knows how to use all the toys, right? He says that that's what number four is. Make sure that everybody's onboarded and everybody knows how to use whatever it is that you're building. Because if you build it, and don't tell anybody how to use it, they won't come. It will not be a field of dreams. Sports yeah. reference. I always have to have a sports reference. It's true. It's true. If you build it and don't give them any value or teach them, they're not going to come. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nobody actually wants to change the way they work. So those are the four golden rules that he gave us. But then he said, there are five mistakes that people make. Please avoid these, right? He said, one, don't think ever that it's once and done. It is a permanent commitment. It's a relationship. The second one, never, ever try to do it by yourself. This is not a hero thing. This is get help, get experts, tell people to help you. Make sure it's a group thing. Number three, don't launch it all at once. Try something small and then build it, but make sure you fix some errors as you go. Number four, do not ever forget, ever, 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 
to get input from your stakeholders from the beginning, because if not, they will never going to buy in. And that's so important for change management. And number five, which is one of your favorites, I think, choose evolution over perfection. Yes. Well, the reason why it's one of my favorites is in business with consumers and markets moving the way they do, you're never actually done. You're always having to learn, unlearn, learn, unlearn, iterate, 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 experiment, evolve. Like you, there's not a like, your, your job is to help our customers transform. Your job is to also transform Zappy so that we can help our customers transform. We're, that's ne- that work's never going to be done. You're never going to be happy with the way we're doing meta because you're always going to be thinking about the next thing that we can be doing meta better with. And, and I think Frank's wise to think that way. Um, Amazing. And I, obviously we're partners. We've integrated into their knowledge management system. And you can feel that in how he operates. He's not overly stressed. He's, he's, he's able to keep calm. And I think that's really important because um, he's in it for the long game. And we all should be in it for the long game. Business is uh, not a quarter to quarter. Business is not nearly as much of a quarter to quarter grind as we make it out to be. Um, I hope people on boards are listening because uh, we create a lot of this tension. Board members, chill out a little bit. We're in it for the long game, everybody. He's a, he's a totally, he's an Uber marathoner. I mean, and you talk yeah. to him and you have to think about, he runs knowledge management for Colgate Palmolive worldwide. Now let's just imagine that. I worked many different places, you know, and you worked for many different places. I don't know anybody who does it like he does it. No, and we it was just built step by step by step by step. I remember we had KPIs, we we implemented them. He's and he's really he's really humble about the whole thing. I don't think he realizes what a beast he's running. A beast. So Frank Santiago said it all. Everybody who needed to know more about knowledge management just got the masterclass. So share it with your friends. Subscribe to Inside Insights. We need your help getting the word out there. Our next episode, Patricia, is with Karen Kraft, who Ooh. is amazing. She's, uh, she's a researcher who's turned into a major business impact leader. She's figured out how to use software and, and integrate storytelling. Really excited to talk to Karen. And if anybody knows anybody that Patricia and I should meet with, if they're on the ground Ooh. helping brands grow, helping businesses Getting get shit done. We want to talk to him. Hit us up directly on LinkedIn. Hit us up on email or at insideinsights at zappystore.com. We last time we shouted out Kelsey Sullivan, who manages our podcast. We wouldn't be here without her. I'd also like to give some love today to Emma Vasquez, who actually does a lot of the editing and all the graphic work that I think is just beautiful. Patricia and I, uh, we had the fun and easy part of this job. We get to talk to each other and talk to cool people, but um, we have a team behind the scenes helping us pull it off. So uh, thank you, ladies. Th- Patricia, thank you. I look forward to seeing you for our hike next week. And to everybody who's listening, we'll catch you on the next episode. Go get some shit done. Bye, guys. Boom.